reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Not sure if you've seen the movie Liar, Liar. It was a Jim Carrey movie that he made a few years ago. And in the movie, he plays a lawyer who is unable to lie for an entire day. He just can't lie. He has to tell the truth. And he finds it impossible to make it right through the whole day. Now, it's a funny movie, but it has a a very serious side. There have been some studies done in the United States showing that people, that's you and I, on average lie 1.65 times per day. Now, I'm sure that if you were to take a few minutes about it now, you'd probably be able to think of a time when someone has lied to you. That you'd be able to think of a time when you've been let down badly by a friend or someone close to you. I suppose everyone's found themselves in that situation where they've been disappointed with someone who they've trusted. There's a hollow feeling, isn't there? When you find out someone's let you down, I mean, someone you were depending on to be faithful. It may be a really small thing. It may be that you told someone something in strictest confidence and now you've found out that that person has told others. It may be something more major. It may be the unfaithfulness of a family member or a business partner, someone who's left you high and dry. It might be that you were hoping that someone would be able to help you with a problem, but they seem to be no help at all. It may be that you were going through a difficult time, but your friends, well, they were just nowhere to be seen. Sometimes those experiences can actually make it hard to trust people. We may find it hard 
to trust that person who's let us down. We may in fact find it hard to trust anyone. Well, what stands at the heart of the passage that we're looking today is trust. The writer wants to stress the trustworthiness of Jesus. Whenever conversations turn to sport and sporting personalities, it's always inevitable that you're going to make a comparison to one of the great sportsmen of the past, some man or woman who's achieved great things. So, for example, when you start talking about cricket and batsmen, everyone is going to get compared to Don Bradman. I mean, he's the greatest batsman of all time. He averaged almost 100 runs every time he stepped out to bat. He's the benchmark for other batsmen. Any great batsman is going to be compared to Bradman. Now, when you're looking at the great leaders of Israel, there's really one name that stood above all others, and that's Moses. That's not actually Moses on the screen, that's Charlton Heston, but uh, but the, you get the point. Uh, Moses takes up more pages of the Old Testament than any other person. He, he's the one who led God's people at the most significant point in their history. He's the one who led them out of slavery right up to the very edge of the promised land. He was the leader when God established his covenant with Israel. He was the one who went to the top of the mountain, to Mount Sinai, to be given the law by God. He was the leader when the priesthood and worship practices were instituted, when the tabernacle and the ark were made. The readers of this letter are considering whether or not they can just slip back to the old covenant, the covenant that was established when Moses was the leader of Israel. But the writer wants to show them that God has sent a better leader, someone far greater than Moses, Oh yeah, Moses was good, and yeah, he led Israel at a significant time. But Jesus is better, a more faithful leader. He's come to do something more significant than anything that Moses ever did. He's God's son, and he's come to put into place how it is that God's people ought to live. He's come to lead God's people. So when it comes to who you follow, well, it'd just be crazy to think about going back to the days of Moses. Moses was a small-time leader compared to Jesus. Jesus is a better leader, a more faithful leader. Jesus is the one that you need to follow. He's the one you need to trust, the one you need to cling to. He's the one who is always faithful. So you've got to make sure that you're faithful to him. It can be very easy to look back at times past and to the good old days and, and think that things were so much better then uh, I've noticed myself starting to do this more and more. You start to say, oh, when, when I was younger, well, life was safer. Life was simpler. Things were cheaper. Children were quieter. Movies were better. Lollies were sweeter. The air was fresher. The streets were cleaner. The sun shone more brightly. Well, that seems to be what the letters, what the readers of this letter are doing. They're thinking that life under the old covenant, life under Moses was better. They're idealising what things were like when Moses was around. Life under the old covenant was easier. Things were better in Moses' day. It was easier to be God's people back in Moses' day when he led them, when they had the old covenant. But the fact is, things weren't perfect under the old covenant. Life wasn't easier. Faith in God didn't come more easily. 
It wasn't easier to be God's people. See there in chapter 3, verse number 7, the writer quotes from Psalm 95, a reminder of just what things were like when Moses was around. During this time, Moses and the people of God particularly were incredibly unfaithful. Moses has led them and he's led them out of their slavery through the desert, through the Red Sea. He's led them right to the very edge of the promised land. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan. They're looking across the other side to the land that God has promised. And it looks to be everything that God has promised them. And when it comes time to enter into the land, they say, no, we're not going. Look at what this, look at what it says here in Hebrews from Psalm 95. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert, when your fathers tested me and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Here's this reminder of how the people of Israel have responded to all that God did for them. God rescued them. God led them through the Red Sea. God led them through the desert. He's taken them to the very edge of this land and they're refusing to enter. God has been faithful to them every single step of the way and now it's their turn to show their faith and they refuse to do it. When the test came, when it was their turn to show their faith in God, they rebelled against Moses and against God. They refused to enter the land. They refused to take possession of the gift that God was giving them. So that generation didn't enter the land. They didn't get to enjoy the rest that God had promised. So do you see what the writer is saying here to his friends? He's saying, you're doing it again. You're making the same mistake they did back in Moses' day. God's done it all for you in Jesus. He's given you forgiveness and a relationship with him. He's given you eternal life. And you're refusing to take hold of all that God has in store for you. You're refusing to accept everything that God has done for you. And how are they doing that? Well, by turning away from Jesus. You see, to reject or ignore or downplay Jesus is to reject what God has done for you. To think that Jesus is some small part of your life is to fail to appreciate what it is that God has given you. That's why he uses such tough language there in verse number 12. Do you see it? See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Do you see what he's saying? Don't repeat the mistake of our forefathers. 
Don't stop trusting God now. Don't turn your back on what God has done for you. God has been faithful. Now it's your turn to show faithfulness, to trust God. When the people of Israel were released from their slavery in Egypt, they were heading toward a goal. They were heading to the promised land, the land that God had promised way back in the time of Abraham. It would be the land that they would enjoy everything that God had promised them. And above all, they would enjoy God's rest. But they refused to enter into the land. They stood on the banks, they looked across that river, they could see the land and it was everything that God had promised, but they refused to go in. That generation missed out on that rest. They missed out on entering into what God had promised them. But the rest that God had promised them, well, that was really just a shadow of the rest that God ultimately has in store for his people. The rest that God's people will finally enjoy is the rest that we have in heaven. And that's the goal that we keep pressing on towards. That's the goal that God has in store for us. That we will live with him forever. That we will enter into his rest. That's why the writer says what he says there about rest in chapter 11 verse number 4. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. The problem that Israel had in the pages of the Old Testament was that when the going got tough, they gave up. I mean, all too often you read back through their history, when things got tough, That was often when they gave up on God, when they turned their back, they stopped trusting. But it can be a little bit the same for us, can't it? Well, maybe I should say, it can be the same for me. I'm happy so long as I'm ambling along in my Christian life, that things aren't too hard, that it's not going to take me too much effort or too much time. I'm happy to be a Christian so long as it doesn't cost me too much. But sadly, when it looks like my faith is going to cost me, well, that's the point that I can often drift away or at the very least just want to back off a little bit. I said last week that we have a lot in common with the people that this letter was written to. For all of the differences that there may be, and the differences are significant, we actually do have a lot in common. I mean, sure, they were Jewish and living in the first century. We're not Jewish and living in the 21st century. But it seems that the same things can tend to happen to us, that same pressure in our Christian lives. We can tend to drift away from Jesus. We can think that when the pressure comes, that we should just back off a little bit. That when the pressure comes, that we should just sort of shrink back a little bit from our Christian lives. When the pressure comes, that's when we're in the greatest danger to be unfaithful to God. And we can learn from what the example of Israel is here in this passage. See, those that verse there applies to us. Today 
if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, that's today. God has demonstrated his overwhelming faithfulness to us. I bet that if I asked everyone here to just write a a list of the times when they have personally experienced God's faithfulness to them, we'd come up with a pretty huge list, wouldn't we? We'd all be able to write times down when, when we've known God's faithfulness to us. But above all, we know God's faithfulness to us because he sent his son, Jesus. But how would you measure your faithfulness to God? If Jesus is the one that God, if if Jesus is the one that God wants us to follow, how faithfully are you following him? Trusting him? Living like a follower of Jesus? One of the really important things that comes up in these verses, well, not in fact just these verses, but really in the whole book of Hebrews, is that we don't have a responsibility just for ourselves and our own faithfulness. This passage clearly says that we need to actually start thinking about the other members of our church, thinking about how they're going in their Christian lives. See, have a look at it there. Verse 12, chapter 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to make sure that we're encouraging others in their Christian lives. We need to make sure that we're helping others in their Christian lives. That's why we come here on Sunday morning. That's what being part of this church is all about. It's not just a matter of you and God. I mean, if it was, well, you could just stay at home and do this in your lounge room by yourself, really, couldn't you? Turn on songs of praise on the radio or the TV. But being a Christian is not a matter of every man and woman for themselves. We're part of a church, a family of people who are going to be concerned about each other. They're concerned for you, and your concern for them. Last week I asked you to think about people who you may know who may be in danger of drifting away from Jesus. Perhaps people from your past who used to be involved in church but they're not anymore. Well, your homework today is to think about two people from the life of our church here who you can encourage in their faith. Maybe a phone call, maybe an email, maybe popping over for a cup of tea just to encourage them, see how they're going in their Christian lives. Now, don't feel embarrassed about doing this. Don't think that this is silly. This is really important for them and for you. So this is the goal that you need to set yourself for this week, to make a serious effort to encourage two people to hold more firmly to Jesus, to follow him more closely in their lives. Two people who you can encourage. Maybe it's just a matter of thanking them for what it is that they do within the life of this church. Thanking them for their faithfulness. But think about those people within our church who you can encourage to follow Jesus more closely in this week and beyond.